I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. I look at you. Okay, let's go. Good, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for chatting with us. Sure. So, I mean, you've been out here at this event how many years in a row? First time I came to the US Open, I drove from Los Angeles to New York in 1978. I was 18 years old and drove here with a friend from LA. For? For, for what? For what? I grew up playing tennis in Los Angeles. I played tennis since I was 12. My best buddy on the high school team, Mike Anderson, and I, we drove uh, to New York to watch the US Open. So that was the first time I came here, so that was 41 years ago. And I won't say, I haven't been here every year since then. I started covering it more as a journalist in 1990. Then I started being more full-time freelancing in 93. So pretty much since 93. I think this is the, about the 27th Open I've come to as a journalist. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. I, I would guess you hold a record, maybe? There's an oral record? No. There are people, I mean, my mate Steve Flink has been here every year since 1965. I'm, a, I'm, I'm still on the probation period. <laughs> That's true. And I think you have a really good eye and a really critical eye when it comes to figuring out what it is in the young player. And so what I'd love for us to focus on is when you're here and you see these juniors around, and I know that's not the focus of your coverage, but you get around and you see them. What are you looking at to tell you that a player has a chance of transitioning from juniors to college, juniors straight to pros, college to pros, whatever the transition is? Well, to get better, to improve. Uh, well, first of all, anyone who sees a junior and thinks they know that that junior is going to become a top 20 player, a Grand Slam champion player, if they think they know it, they're lying because nobody knows because people have seen things and they claim it but they don't really know and the batting average is incredibly low people have been considered oh this guy's the real deal he's got it I mean maybe some people saw some things in the young Roger Federer and Andy Murray was an impressive junior but rarely do you see them it's very hard to tell that said now we can scale it down to actually what constitutes improvement and the potential for improvement I see I look for players who maybe have some court awareness who have some imagination I see when I see juniors here you mostly see a lot of players who are just, they're hitting balls. And it's interesting to see juniors juxtapose against the pros. If we were just at a junior tournament, we'd be looking at these junior players and say, oh my God, this guy, he's got it going. But then we're seeing the likes of Roger Federer, seeing Nadal, we're seeing incredible depth. Not so much pace as much as depth and variety and a lack of sloppy errors. I think that's, that's part of it. Well, competing is easy. Winning is hard. Winning is the hard part of the game. I mean, so you watch someone like Nick Kyrgios. He th- comp- competing is hard for him because he wants to be cool. He wants to think that, oh, it doesn't matter that much. I don't like tennis that much. So instead, he pretends not to care. Competing is easy. All you have to do is care. I mean, you and I were here last night. We watched Diego Schwartzman take on Nadal. Very easy for them to both compete. The winning is hard, particularly for Schwartzman versus Nadal. But the idea of actually trying... Why is... Com- Because Nadal's better. Because here's the thing also that's interesting. My colleague at Tennis Channel, Martina Navratilova, told me something interesting. She says, you get outside of the top 200 or so, and it's about skill. It's about techniques. 
and certain things, maybe it's decision making and fitness, all these kind of things. When you get to the top 200, and specifically the top 100, everybody has that. They're all as good as the Kalamazoo champion or the NCAA champion. They know how to do that. So now you can't teach height. So a guy like Schwartzman, who's going to just destroy any junior player, is outgunned against someone like Nadal, who's bigger, stronger, faster. And then what you also have is what I would call like a, the developmental challenge. A player grows up learning certain skills. And if they learn this many skills, they only have that many skills to take to the pros. And then they come back against Nadal, who may have the same, but he does them better. So the challenge for development, I believe, is how do you build the broadest range of skills that allows you to build a broad-based game that can draw on a great many assets and tactics. But you see a great many juniors, they don't do that. They, at a very young age, become very addicted to what I call the outcome world, and they play a fairly narrow game. They don't build skills at a young age. And if you don't build certain skills at a young age, like learning how to come to net more or volley, it's hard to build them when you're 18. Yeah. Then you're pretty much wed to the outcome world, and you need to win. But so the skills, that the, the real place to see development going on is from players like 9 to 15. That, those are the years of development. And that's where you want to see if players are doing things like coming to net more or mixing up paces or serving and volleying, at least in doubles. That's the important stage. And so, I mean, from my perspective, that's the responsibility of the coach to develop those skills as the kid is coming up through the juniors, whether it's a boy or a girl coming up. But there's another piece of it. It's not just the technical skills. It's also the tactical skills and then the well, but it's also then you get into what I call the parent trap. Yes. The parent trap is is the kid when he's eight and just learning the game and hitting balls. It's kind of fun. Oh, he likes volleying. He's doing all these things. Now the kid is 10 and he's starting to play tournaments. He's entered the outcome world. And the outcome world revolves around attaining outcomes and winning matches. And winning matches doesn't revolve around coming to net. Winning matches revolves around keeping the ball in play and playing like a, a little version of Novak Djokovic. And so because of that, Wait, that you're a baseliner, you're steady, you, get, you keep a lot of balls in play. And if you come to net when you're 11, you're probably going to get passed, you're going to lose. And now the parent is saying, the parent who might not know anything about tennis, the parent is saying, oh my God, oh my God, he's losing. He's, he's, he was ranked number 12 in the 10s, but now he's in the 12s and he's, he's losing and he's struggling. He's, oh my God, what are we going to do? And he might not get a scholarship. And so now there are all these outcomes at stake. And, the parent, and so, so the coach self-selects the coach. Remember, the coach is an employee, not a boss. So, so I remember saying to a parent once, the kid was getting pretty good. He's 11, 12. He's, he's beating all the 4-5s. He's playing the 5-0s. He's, he's getting pretty skilled. And the kid is um, serving and staying back. And I say to the dad, he should be serving and volleying when he plays doubles with us. And the dad goes, goes well, this works pretty well in the 12s. This is how kids are playing. I go, you know what? I won the spelling bee. And I was number three in fractions. But when I started doing well, struggling in grammar and algebra, my mommy didn't threaten to fire my teacher. But that's exactly the scene we have now in junior tennis, where parents, parents who don't know any better are making the decisions. They're deciding, oh, wait, I don't want him reading Shakespeare. He's struggling. Let him go back to what he wants to read. And so the skill, so the skill development is arrested at a young age in the pursuit of outcomes. And then he keeps winning. So he's now he's winning. Now he's, he's number 14 in the 12s. He's playing a little nationals. He's doing well in the 14s. He's doing well. Nonetheless, his skill set is this wide. And then he's going to encounter the wall of burnout, of boredom, of limitation. The next thing you know, presto, 
He's 17. He's playing another baseliner who plays that same way, but a little better. He has no other skills to draw on. You can't suddenly say to that 17-year-old, oh, you ought to serve in volley. What do you mean? No one taught me algebra. Let's hope so. Well, let's hope the coach. Let's hope the coach is a true instructor, who addresses things like addresses things other than just starting off every lesson hitting user-friendly ground strokes with the kid. Um, does the kid? Does, does, the, does the instructor? How many times have you ever seen a junior lesson start off with the kid hitting volleys, other than Taylor Townsend? Have you ever seen that? No. Does the kid know how to st where to stand when they practice volleys? Can the instructor? Uh, feed them lobs. I mean, now we have a generation of instructors who, let's say, if the average instructor is 45 years old or less, he's born in 1974, he grew up in the Agassiz-Lendl post-net rushing era, what does he know about the volley? I mean, I find it very interesting. If you talk to people about ground strokes, you'll find a, a fair amount of commonality of language about what contact point and shoulder turns. If you talk to people about volleys, you're going to get a lot of dialogue about what it takes to successfully hit a volley about whether it's hands whether it's feet whether it's shoulders whether it's wrist where the racket goes where you should stand to practice it's a lot of language around that and that's uh complicated and interestingly when you go to a coaching conference that's not typically on the docket is volleys right well there you go so we're not teaching we're, we're pretty much stopping at fractions yeah so but for the coaches for the, the coaches, coaches to aren't getting so the coaches aren't learning how to teach the volley. Correct. And then they can't then teach it. And then our kids are stifled. And so it's like this vicious cycle. Right. right. So if you, if you have people who can't teach algebra, I mean, like I joke, if you feed a man a lob, you feed him for a day. But if you teach a man how to feed a lob, you feed him for a lifetime. And yeah, you have kids, like I play with kids, they can't even feed lobs. Yeah. Cannot feed lobs. I mean, a shot that you and I of our generation. I can't feed lobs. I you can't it. feed lobs? I stink at it. Stink I am a great lob feel it. Feel it. Feeder. I am a world-class lob feeder. I, I know it. it is a very easy shot, but for me. Yeah, that's right. so funny. So what else are you seeing when you're out here walking around and, and you know, we're all talking about, ooh, who's going to be in the, the big boy tournament, the big girl tournament in the next five years? Oh, when you see juniors? Yeah. I don't know. I think with juniors, I think you just have to look for them to be enjoying it I think for them to take it in I think it's kind of neat when you see juniors watching the pros and learning from it I think it would be great to talk with a junior who played here after and say well what did you learn at the US Open what did you seek to learn what surprised you how was it to come from your town and watch the pros did you watch them practice did you did you watch any matches did was it interesting playing on the same court where some great players had played did you did you um, take in a match did you what did you learn from your match and how that carried into the US Open what did you take some notes what do you what do you make of seeing big-time tennis up close for some of these kids maybe they've never seen Roger Federer play in person what did you see that Roger Federer or, or Novak Djokovic or for that matter or Thomas Burdick or Diego Schwartzman what do they do differently that you might learn from yeah where have you been all week when I needed questions to ask these kids <laughs> yeah well these kids and, and the kids need to build some curiosity about that about what the game is and and why these great players are so great and and what do they do and what are their work habits and you know these kids did how many of these juniors go to the practice courts and watch yeah. the pros practice well and i mean i know 
Well, that's an incredible experience. And what do they learn from that? Yeah, what do they learn from that? I, I mean, I just remember when my kid got the opportunity to do that. And Who did he get to practice with? He, he got to practice with Mike Bryan. Well, there you go. That's cr- terrific. day with him. And, you know, it was, I mean, he felt like he was in a dream. And he was just like, did this happen? Did this really happen? Did I get to so what did he learn from that? Okay. <laughs> he learned that the way his practices go at home aren't up to snuff, and he learned um, that his routines weren't well thought out enough. Um, and, you know, he needed to hone in on some some routines that would be efficient and effective for him, both, both prior to practicing and then post-practice, recovery stuff. He learned that. He learned how important, I mean, Mike, they went back to the house, and Mike, you know, mixed up protein shakes, and my son's like, that looks disgusting, and Mike said, it's disgusting, but we're both drinking it, let's get it, and, you know. That's great. So, yeah, but I mean, I, you know, I think that for some of these kids, you're right, this is the first time they're seeing this level of professional tennis up close and personal, yet the majority of them aspire to play professional tennis. Yeah, but that's hard. I mean, that's good that they, what they should aspire to be is just to be better. They should see how do I go about being a better player? How do I broaden my skill set? How do I make my strengths stronger? How do I make my weaknesses? How do I learn as many shots as possible? How do I become a better returner? How do I play doubles better? How do I, how do I volley better? How do I make better decisions with my ground strokes? I, I see, when I watch juniors play while I'm at a pro tournament, it's clear I'm not seeing a lot of um, shot selection going on really not a lot of point building as much as point playing reacting hitting balls I mean we're, we're such a such a culture of drilling and hitting and group lessons and and workouts and it's like where's the real cognition going on and how you go about building a point and there are a few players that you see and, and it really stands out I think when you see a player that does have that skill well you have to watch a lot of the match to see it too you have to yeah. see at least a set maybe to see how that goes yeah I think college tennis, there might be a little bit of a renaissance going on about the possibility of college tennis, having seen players like James Blake and Isner come out of it and possibly show that there's something you had. The, the most important thing for college tennis is the coach helping the player get better. I'll tell you something I despise that I see out of college tennis. Every once in a while you hear about a player who played on his team, he played number five the whole time. And he won 94% of his matches. And everybody says, well, he's not really that much of an athlete, but he, boy, he sure wins. And um, I call it the thrive at five. And, and, and I think that player's being done a disservice. He's being, he shouldn't be playing five for a top school. He should be playing two for a lesser school. He should be improving, but he's being, he's being inventoried. He's being, he's being exploited by the team because he can win his matches, but is, he getting, is someone helping him become a better player? He's a better competitor. He's probably becoming more fit. But is someone saying, hey, wait a second. Yeah, you've won all these matches at five. You're kind of a grinding baseliner. How about you win a match serving and volleying? How about you do that? And I think these teams, there's such a pragmatism to college tennis, and I know the team wants to win. I get that. But the question is, is the player going to really build skills? Is the coach invested in the player learning the skills that can make them a better player truly and put them on a path to just improvement? I'm not entirely sure that college tennis helps you on the path to being a pro player. It might help you be on the path to being a better player. And it used to be 
30, certainly 40, 50 years ago, college tennis was right next to pros. It was right there. It was AAA baseball, and people were, winning, people were graduating college in the top 100 in the world. And now that's not true. Now it's more like AA or even single A. So coming out of college means you get to play challengers. But that's still a skill. There's a lot of skill development that's going on there. So the question is, is this coach invested in helping become a better player, or is this coach mostly watching me try to attain outcomes? That just was um, interesting. So how, if you're a, a junior player and the parent of a junior player, what do you look for then when you're assessing a college program to decide that it is a place that's going to make you well, better? And, not, and let's, let's be clear, not every kid goes to college wanting to play tennis and become a better tennis player. Some go because, you know, they still, they want to be on a team. They know college is the end of the line for them in terms of their competitive tennis years, at least for a while. They're going to get a job after school and whatever. So maybe that's not so important for everybody. But for the kid that is looking to improve and continue to And possibly give it a go. Well, see, now the kid is going to compete out of college, and he'll be happy to get some ATP points and be in the top thousand in the world. So the question I think for that kid is, does this coach understand my game? Does this coach understand how I learn? Has this coach talked with my home instruction team to see how I learn? And what does this coach tell me about how I could get better? Not how I can contribute to the team, not what the team needs, not the great football game, not the great campus, not the library, not the student teaching center, but okay, here's how I'm going to help you become a better player. And then at least that will keep you improving. And then you'll see. Because in a way, the pro thing, it's funny. I meet people all the time. They not, they'll say, yeah, my brother-in-law, my was so a really good player. And then he was 14 or 15. He decided he didn't want to be a, a pro player. And I, want, I always want to say, you don't decide. It decides for you. The market tells you. So it's not like you decide, oh, as a sophomore, I decided I want to be a pro. And it's different than team sports. See, the team sports are a cartel. You are on an NFL track. If you're playing college football at certain places, yeah. you're going to get drafted. You're going to, you don't get drafted into the ATP tour. You don't get drafted. You go. So it's a different competitive dynamic. So if I was telling a parent or a kid, does this person understand how I can get better? Does this person speak to me about the process of how, how are you going to help me improve? What are you going to do? Are you going to, are you going to work with me twice a week for an hour and we're going to have a private lesson? What kind of instructor are you? Could I talk to other people you've taught? Not coaching. I mean, coaching during matches is very tactical and, you know, how do you win and hit to the backhand and grind it more. But how are you going to help me when we're not playing matches become better? What are you going to help me do, me personally? Not just our team. Not just our drills and our practice. And that really kind of is counterintuitive to have that conversation when you're going through recruiting. What's the conversation? Well, because, you know, we as parents and I think kids as recruits, think that the college coaches want to hear team, team, team. I'm going to be part of the team. I'm here to you will be part of the team. Part of the, you know, to, to buy into the team culture, to contribute to the team's success. And when you start asking, what are you going to do for me and help me get better, that doesn't necessarily... Well, see, then the coaches, the, 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 if the coach doesn't do that, all he's saying is, you have some skills, I'll plug you in, we'll all plug in and we'll just try to win together. And we'll, we'll cheer. And that's why, that's, why college tennis for, that's why college tennis for a great many players is like, well, wait a second, what's going on here? You're not helping me improve. You're, you're just taking me as I am. And if I can win for you, that's good. 
And I also think a great many players, their hard work they put in between 9 and 15, and then they got to coast their way to their scholarship. The hard work they put in, that was the heavy lifting, 13, 14, playing tournaments, grinding out wins, getting ranked, reaching a certain altitude of success. And now I'm 42 in the country in the 16s. I'm on recruiting.net. I got five letters. I got four visits. Here I am. I got a scholarship. Here we go. And, and I wedged my way in between all the, the import kids. And, and I wedged my way in, and good, I got, a, I got a nice letter from the College X. And that's all well and good, but do, does, does the coach want to help me improve? If you, look, for a great many kids, that might not be the mission anyway. For a great many kids, it might just be, you know what? I put in all this private, I had my private piano lessons. I had the teacher, the teacher, my mom, they drove me. My mom watched all of my lessons, da, da, da. Now I just want to be left alone. I want to go to school. I'm going to get a girlfriend. I'm going to go to the library. I want to go to a party. And I'll just rah-rah part of the team. But I'm no longer invested in becoming a better tennis player. I'm already good anyway. So that's, and then that's, that's okay. okay. That's all right. But, but I think it's also kind of sad because I think it's such a great sport. And I think the sport, the sport's biological dynamic should revolve around improvement. And everybody wants to get what everybody may you may be playing for fun at that stage in college but you want to win more but then see the team as i think about it now the team and not improving yeah let's all go to college let's all not try to improve let's care about each other let's practice our limited games together i mean i watched i watched a college match a pac-12 college match a while ago and i saw some volume going and i swear lisa i say i'm a four or five player and i think i have better volley technique than 70 percent of the volleys i saw hit that day it doesn't mean I would beat any of them, but as far as watching some of this technique, I thought, wow. And of course, the coaches can't do anything at that stage. They're pretty much committed to like, we got the team, we got travel, we got to win matches. I don't have time to teach this sophomore or junior transfer a better volley. I gotta, we, got, we got another match in three days. So the player is being, so the player is being sold out. That's like, that's like me turning an English paper and the teacher doing nothing to correct my grammar. That does happen. <laughs> Sadly. Watch that. All right, I've kept you way longer. No, this now. is great. I love this stuff. Okay, good. I love talking to you about it because you're so passionate. You've been in it for such a long time. I mean, we're the same age, but, but I left the game for a very long time. You have stayed in I've watched the game a lot of times. I've watched a lot of players. And I think I've also been lucky. I've had a lot of people like... Uh, uh, lots of people in the game, who've, uh, ex-pros and others who talk with me about the game, and I, I still take lessons. And I think a lot, uh, to me, if you look at this game in another way, it's another extension of child development. It's about development. It's how do people build skills and techniques and ideas. And that doesn't matter whether you're, a, whether you're an English major, a pre-med student, or a tennis player. I mean, how are you building those? And so I just think when I think of college tennis, okay, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to major in tennis. And how am I going to learn that? And what is this? Is this person truly a professor? And do they have things to say to me, or are they just going to kind of inventory me and leave me in the hands of the TAs? And we'll have a good time. Yeah, interesting. All right, I want to switch gears one more time, and then I promise I'll let you go because my voice is fading too. You've interviewed a ton of players. You've been around the professional game for a while. Who, in your opinion, has been the most intelligent? thoughtful player that you had the chance to talk to? I'll tell you three of my best interviews, and two of them will seem obvious, but they're obvious because it's true. 
and one of them will surprise you. Okay. The first two are Arthur Ashe and Billie Jean King. I didn't, I didn't spend that much time over Arthur Ashe, but one time in 1989 I had a three-hour dinner interview with him for something he was doing around college tennis, and it was just fantastic. And we touched on a wide range of topics, and very interesting, very thoughtful. Second person who I've talked to many, many times and worked with, Billie Jean King, is an amazing person because she's curious. It's not just an interview, it's a conversation. She wants to know things. She wants to know. She'll go in the same conversation asking me about, a, she'll tell me about a first lady she spent time with, and then the next thing she'll be asking about, well, how did this guy teach the forehand? And she's that granular with it. And, and I'm left-handed and say, well, why do lefties do this? I mean, she's very curious, and it's a real back and forth, and she's, you know, she's one of the most iconic people in the history of the planet. Yes. So that's the, the third person, Gigi Fernandez, I once interviewed her for five hours, five hours, and I got her whole life story, very thoughtful, very self-effacing, very aware, very interesting. Because? Just her journey. I mean, the great thing about this sport, Lisa, is tennis players are very much individuals. They're very much who they are. It's not a team sport, so you're not under, you're not a role player. So every tennis player, and you know this because you've been around a great many of accomplished players, tennis players are, um, are not role players. They actually do, um, you know, they play every down of every game, every inning of every game, every minute of the game. And so because of that, they're very attuned to who they are and what they are as personalities. And so to take in her story, it's pretty, it was fantastic and very, very thoughtful. I love that. All right. Well, thanks, Joel Drucker, for chatting with us. Always great to see you. Great to be here. Thanks, Lisa. We'll do it again. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent if you like what you've heard i hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community for all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey be sure to check out parentingaces.com